Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. chapter 3, look with me in verse 4. Paul said this, he said, Though I might have also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. Verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisees, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness of the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them as done, that I may win. Heavenly Father, again, Lord, may we see the one thing. Lord, may we understand and know the obstacles that keep us from making the one thing in our life. Lord, may we understand the touch of your spirit. One thing, we live in the midst of a very complicated, and we live in life that's uh, competing priorities. We live a life that many times we have too many irons in the fire. I've never experienced that. I'm too many of that We're trying to please everybody, trying to please everyone, and it really does become a problem. And so in the Christian life, what we do is we ought to simplify. It really is this simple. I know it just is simple, but it's not simple. But it is this simple. If I'll please the Lord, 
if I'll please Jesus Christ, if I'll make the one person my goal, if I'll make the one thing my goal, pleasing Jesus, pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ, then all my other priorities fall in place. And all my other relationships fall in place. I have that based upon the promise of 1 John 1, 7. And when John said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. In other words, if our fellowship with God is right, our fellowship with our fellow man will be right. So truly speaking, the Bible makes it very clear that if we put the one thing first, if we set our affections on things above, if we make Christ, again, the one thing in our life, everything else falls. I don't have to please everybody. I've just got to please one person. And that's the person who is Christ. And then those other things will fall into the proper place. Again, the one thing is pleasing Him. The one thing is knowing Him. The one thing is knowing Him. Paul, adamantly, before knowing the Lord, he said that I might know Him, that I might know Him. Focusing on Him. I said last Sunday, or the Sunday before last, I said, we all as Christians, we all as born-again believers need to fall in love with Jesus, brothers. All of us could use a little taste of that. And by that we mean, by falling in love with him all over again, is to know him in a greater way. To know him in a greater way. I think about King David. David said, as the heart pants after the water broke, so panteth my soul like a deal of God. King David had a great longing to know God more. David wasn't perfect, we'd all agree with that. I mean, David did not live a perfect life. And yet David was called a man after God's own heart. And I believe the reason why is because he had a constant, not wanting, constant of striving to know the Lord more. He wanted to know God more. By the way, he got right with God. Think about Moses. Moses said to God, I want to see you. God said, no man can look at me at any time. And so he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and as I back... I walk by, I'll let you see my hinder part. Get a glimpse of God. Moses longed to know God more. Think about Job. As Job lost everything, lost his family, lost his wife, lost his, lost everything. At the end of his life, at the end of that trial, at the end of that deep, deeper in life, Job said, "I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but after experiencing everything you experienced, now my eyes see." He said, "I repent." Of God or a knowing of God or knowing God more affects us. It changes us. And I'll cover that more in a moment. It affects I think one of the clearest illustrations of that is Isaiah. When the Bible says there in Isaiah 6, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and changed over the temple. And as, I, as Isaiah the prophet saw the Lord, it changed him. It changed him. He said, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. You need to fall in love with Jesus. Perfect example of this about how to fall in love with Jesus all over again, how we fall in love with When we first fall in love with our our spouse, uh, you know, we spend time together, get to know each other. And the way you fall in love again is by spending time together. By spending quality time together. Uh, my wife and I went to Good Monday yesterday or the day before I don't know. Uh, I think the day before. We brought after the food. We went to the ground, but they had one church. And as we came in, they reminded me. And they take a little while. They're in the house for two days. They're kind of tight, tight, tight. 
we were sitting there and there's a couple over the other area over in the booth and I watched them for a while I watched both of them over there 10 15 minutes and neither one of them talked to each other neither one of them looked at each other both of them and this wasn't a young couple I'm not a couple in their early 50s 50s Again, when we talk about quality time, we're talking about quality time talking. You want to fall in love with your spouse again, spend time with them. Uh, again, getting to know each other, getting to know each other, the likes and dislikes and so forth. Love is spelled T I N E when it comes to children, but also in the adults. Love is really just spelled T I N E, spending time together, spending quality time. Put yourself in there. Again, to fall in love with Jesus all over again. Again, it's about the one thing. One thing of knowing God more, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ more. Not others or not self, or the one thing is about pleasing Him and focusing on Jesus. The roadblock to that is self-confidence. It's what Paul said in verses 1 through 3, there in Philippians chapter 3. I would just read verse 3 with me. It says, For we are of the circumcision, Paul said, which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus. And listen to this. Paul said, and have no confidence in the flesh. Have no confidence in the flesh. Listen, as Christians born again, children of God, we, we, we need not have confidence in the flesh. We shouldn't trust our flesh. We shouldn't trust this old flesh. You see, we understood that at salvation. When we got saved, we understood that our flesh wasn't getting us to heaven, that our works can't get us to heaven, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. For by grace you have saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should come. Getting the baptistry doesn't save you. Joining a Baptist church doesn't save you. Being a good person doesn't save you. Trusting in Jesus. Putting your faith and trust in Him, His life, His death, and His resurrection. Believing that He lived, He died, and He rose again from the dead in order that He might pay for our sins. And He did pay for them. He rose again, proving that now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. We, we put our faith in Him. We trusted Him as salvation. But as Christians, as born-again children of God, we need to learn to put our trust in Him for the life, for this life. We're to live by faith, not just trusting for salvation, but we are to trust Him for life, for this life as we live it out. We're to live by faith. Putting our confidence not in ourselves, but in, in Him. How many of you would agree that when you get in desperate desperate situation. You get in a, a, a storm of life. This is how most of the time it works. We, most of the time we, we we do everything we can to fix the problem ourselves until we come down to the very end. And then we trust in the Lord. Then we reach out to the Lord, right? Is that not human nature? That's kind of how we are, right? And that's what we're saying. That's, what, that's the, the point to the point, is that Christ should be the one thing. And when you get into a life situation, in which you need help. We all need help in life situations. We ought to call out to Him. We ought to trust Him instead of trusting Him. The roadblock to the one thing, of putting the one thing where it should be, is self-confidence. Self-confidence. We need to understand we cannot confide. We cannot trust the flesh. We must seek Him. Again, we must focus on Him and not self and not fill in the blank. Paul understood that what he gained far exceeded what he lost. And I hope that today you'll see that. May we see that what we gain 
far greater than what was used. It's called the gain and loss sequence. Found throughout the entire body. What we gain far exceeds what we lose. Look with me in verses four through six. Paul goes through life as to what it was before salvation. In other words, he describes his life before he got saved. Remember now, Saul, who became Paul, God changed his name. Saul was a Pharisee. Saul was a... He went about to put Christians in prison. And so, get this idea now. And he was on the road to Damascus. He was on the road to the city of Damascus. And there, Jesus Christ met him. The Bible, and Paul's own testimony is that he saw a light described as a new nation. And the Lord spoke to him. Jesus Christ spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou? Saul finally called, recognized him, and said, Lord, what would you have me Saul saw the Lord to change his life. Saul got saved to change his life. It changed his direction in life. He was on his way to persecute Christians, to put them in jail, and now he's supporting them. Now he's one of them. Now he's preaching. Now he's writing the book of Philippians. It changed his life. Paul understood and recognized the game when it comes to knowing Jesus Christ. If anybody had bragging rights about self-confidence, it was Paul. If anyone could trust in their own righteousness, Paul said, I could. He goes and gives you a whole list of things that he was. He, he was a Jew. Of, he was a Jew like any other Jew. He was more than a Jew than most Jews. But when he met Jesus, he found his own righteousness worthless in comparison to what he had in Christ. Everything he had trusted in, everything that Paul had trusted in prior to him getting saved, prior to him meeting Jesus, was worthless. He said, "I count them alone." Here's how he described himself. He says he was a Jew of the Jews. Circumcised the eighth day. In other words, he was a keeper of the law. His parents were keepers of the law. His parents were religious uh, Judaizers and were zealous about it. They weren't just they weren't just Jews in name, but Jews in practice. To be circumcised again made him accepted in the Jewish religion. Made him accepted in the Jewish community. Abraham, I do like to back up and give you a little background just because I like it. Abraham was not born a Jew. Abraham became a Jew. Right? So in Genesis chapter 12, we won't take time to explain this, but Genesis chapter 12, the Bible says that God came to Abraham. And God called Abraham out of the earth of to go to a land that he would give him. And Abraham was given the Abrahamic covenant. And that covenant is soil and seed. Abraham, all the soil you walk upon will be yours. And your seed will be as the stars of heaven as the sun of the sea. And in you, he said, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. He didn't say all the Jews will be blessed. He said all the families of the earth will be blessed. You take that great promise that he was given in Genesis chapter 12, and he was given the promise that through him the Messiah was through him, one day, Jesus Christ would come. Through him, one day, would come. Messiah would come, and he would die, and he would bury him and rose again. You see, Abraham knew that the Messiah would, would die. Abraham knew that the Messiah would be buried. Abraham knew that the Messiah would rise again from the dead. Yes, emphatically. Yes, dogmatically. Yes, Abraham knew that. 
because the New Testament tells us he did. The New Testament in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8 says, the gospel was preached to Abraham. And then it cites Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. It cites the scriptures that were given there about the promise of the Messiah. And the Bible says, Paul says, the gospel was preached to Abraham. What is the gospel? Well, Paul gives us that in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't give the Old Testament saints enough credit many times. They absolutely understood that the Messiah would come. They understood that the Messiah would die and that he'd be buried and rise against the dead. Abraham was told this. By the way, go look it up. Acts chapter 7. Stephen's sermon. Stephen's preaching. He's a deacon of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. And when they got persecuted, they were scattered abroad, and, and Stephen was preaching. And as Stephen's preaching, he's rehearsing Jews, the Jews' history. And he says that the God appeared unto Abraham in the Ur of the Shadow. doesn't say he talked to him, it said he appeared. I just thought it was a side note. talk about that physically God appeared to Abraham. Physically, he gave him by his mouth a theophany. Christ appearing in the Old Testament, literally with his mouth, with his voice of a, of a body, a real body, appeared in him. Anybody see that? He appeared in him. And he told him, he gave him the gospel. The Lord gave Abraham the gospel in Genesis chapter 12. He appeared in him. Death, burial, and resurrection. That's not the end. Genesis chapter 15, three chapters later, it's rehearsed again. The promises are rehearsed again to Abraham. In fact, more information is given, information is given about Abraham's descendants going into Egypt and being there 400 years, coming out of Egypt and spoiling the Egyptians, the prophecy concerning the Jews. And then in Genesis 17, so two chapters later, we have the, the right of the covenant circle in which Abraham became a Jew. So when Paul's given these credentials, and he says, circumcise the eighth day, the eighth day, it was the act of circumcision for the Jews that made it Jew. It's what to a Jew would make you accepted in the Jewish community. It's also what would it be if you'd be accepted in the Jewish community. Paul's just saying, hey, my, I, I am a Jew of the Jews. I am a Jew of the Jews. Sometimes this rite of circumcision is compared to baptism. And let me just again reiterate to you, baptism doesn't get you to heaven. Baptism doesn't get you getting wet in the in the in the baptistry doesn't get you to heaven. It's not the same as the covenant of circumcision. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ and putting your trust in Him, not in some rite of baptism. Paul said he was an Israelite again of the stock of Israel, it says, of the stock of Israel. He was an Israelite, born into the nation of the Jews, a chosen people. Let me just again remind you as Christians that the children of Israel, the Jews, are still God's chosen people. Hello? In Genesis chapter 12, it says, I will curse them that curse thee and bless them that bless thee. And that, that promise still applies to them. America better stand up for, for Israel. Christians ought to stand up for Israel. Hello? Oh, wait. The first service, man, they were they really pulled out of here. No, they, they, absolutely. Uh, he was of the stock of Israel. He was, a, he was a Jew. Acts chapter 17. There, 
Paul is standing in the midst of Mars Hill, and as he's speaking to those Athenians, he says to them that it was God who determined the times of and the bounds of our Do you realize where you would be born and when you would be born determined by God? And you were privileged, blessed, to be born in the greatest country on earth. I love it when the wind's blowing hard enough and you go by these car dealerships and see those big old flags and they We we need to we never take it for granted. And that's what Paul says, we never take it for granted. Born of the stock of Israel, born into the Jewish nation. By the way, all the world hates it because of our highest they hate Americans because of our hatred. You understand that the Bible makes it clear that when we get to the end, there's a one world government and a world government. You understand you can't have a one world government if you have a bunch of Americans who get this So there's a, a segment of the world, in fact, I would say even most of the world hates us because there are still a bunch of Texans and many uh, others in America who still believe that America is accepted. I believe in American acceptance. That God has blessed America immensely. And we need to recognize and understand and not take it. He goes on to say here when he's citing his credentials, and I need to move on here, he says, of the tribe of Benjamin. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Now Benjamin, again, one of the twelve tribes, this is the tribe that King Saul is a part of. When the kingdom split in 931 B.C., so remember now, there were three kings of Israel, David, right? Saul reigned 40 years, David reigned 40 years, and then Solomon, David's son, reigned 40 years. After David, after Solomon's reign, the kingdom split into the northern kingdom of Texas. When they split, ten tribes went north, two tribes went south. The two tribes that went south were Judah and Benjamin, half the tribe of Israel. And so what happened was, as time went on, in, the, in day, the day of Paul, if you were born a, if you were born of the tribe of Judah, you were looked up. As. It was a, a, it was a good thing to be born of the tribe of Judah because that was David's tribe. That was David's tribe, and the future Messiah would be from that tribe. And the, the priest understood that. If you were the tribe of Benjamin, same thing. You were looked up. As. You were considered a better class if you were. So he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He had bragging rights. A Hebrew of the Hebrews, he'd gone to school with Gamal. He had the best schooling and the, the best teacher. His parents were devoted Jews. His parents, again, were practicing Jews, not just Jews in name only. Well, there's a lot of people today who are Christians in name only. If you were to go knock ten doors, if you were to take this seat in the streets across the way here, and you were to knock ten doors, out of those ten doors, six or seven of those homes, and maybe even eight, would say to you, yes, I'm a Christian. So if you drive by this morning, you'll see the cars are still there. There is Christians in name only. They're not practicing. That's, that, that, that's, that's the crux of it, right? Most Americans, they would claim to be Christians, but they're just not practicing it. Paul was practicing it. In fact, he was zealous about it. He was fanatical. He says here, I'm a, he, was a, he was a Pharisee. Touching the law, a Pharisee. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the two religious sects of the time, they, the Sadducees were Sadducee because they didn't believe in it in the resurrection, right? They were the liberal wing of the religious institutions. 
were the conservative branch. The conservative, they were the fundamentalists of the Jews. They kept the Sabbath and fasted and made long prayers and on and on and on we could go. They were strictly religious. Acts 26 and verse 5. The Pharisees were more concerned with ceremonies than they were the Messiah. I mean, they were the fundamentalists. Well, we need to be careful. I, I'm glad I'm an independent Baptist. I believe, I'm glad I'm a fundamental independent. I believe the Bible from cover to cover. That's when God said, I didn't to cover it. Black I believe the Bible. I believe the fundamentals. But as Baptists and as conservative Christians, as traditional Christians, we ought to be careful not to become Pharisaical in nature. That we get, that we begin to be described and we begin to be identified as what we don't do versus what we do. We ought to be careful as Christians. We need to be careful. The Pharisees were much about what they did and what they didn't do. They were, Paul, Paul says he was very fanatical. Very fanatical. He was zealous. He persecuted Christians. Look there at the end of verse 6. It says, the righteousness which is, I'm sorry, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Persecuting the church. He went about persecuting Christians. Remember again, I said a while ago, he was on his road to Damascus. He was on his way to Damascus. And there God stopped him. He was on his way to Damascus to, to put Christians in prison, to make havoc among the church. God changed his life back. He was zealous. And then, lastly, he was blind. He said, touching the righteousness of the law, blind. He had a good testimony. He, he sincerely tried to keep the law. He was sincere. Motivation was John Phillips, the great commentary, said this. He said, once considered, Paul once considered himself to be the chief of the saints. But when he met Christ, he realized he was the chief. Meeting Christ meeting, meeting Christ changes what you think about yourself. Paul, certainly, when he met Jesus. So Paul, before salvation, was self-righteous. Depending on his own work, again, thought himself to be the chief of saints. But after salvation, or there when he met the road of the Lord on the road to Damascus, he found himself again to be the chief. So, what is Paul's life after salvation? So we see what he's going to what he's going to lose. But what is he gain? He says there in verse seven. But what things were gained to me? All those things that were gained to him. He kind of he wrote off his life before Christ. He realized he was bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt. He, he realized all those things were lost. Having Christ changed the picture for him. Having Christ changed his life. And he counted all those things for him. Verse 8 says, And he got what I count all things for him. And whom I accept the loss of all things, but I do count them the dung that I may win Christ. See, Paul, when he accepted Christ, and he had this change of mind, this radical 
Paul had ambitions to be a part of Sanhedrin and may have already been somewhat there. In other words, he was to be somebody. He was somebody. He was a leader in the religious sect. But he gladly counted all those things that lost. He gladly counted it all lost in order to know Christ. He gladly did that he may win Christ. In fact, he said all those things, the Hebrew, the Hebrews, uh, the, the education, uh, the health, the wealth, all those things he had, Because of what he gained. And this is an area we take for granted as Christians. We, 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 many times we get our eyes on, on these things and those things and whatever it may be, education, jobs, money, wealth, houses, whatever, and our stuff, and we don't put our eyes on the Lord. We don't see what we gain. What we gain far outweighs what we lose. Understand that this life is just a second. All this life will be passed. Listen, the Bible describes this life as merely a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. The Bible describes this life as grass that grows up in the spring and then is burned off in the summer. It's just, just here for a little bit of time. Compared to eternity, compared for everlasting to everlasting to everlasting, this life is super, super, super short. It's just a small speck in time. Listen, what we give up ministry compared to what we give Not just in eternity, but the here and now. And I think of those who gave up things to win Christ, I think of missionaries who gave up being in America, gave up living in a nice home, gave up American way of life to go to to live in you know, some backwards area and minister to people and then people to Jesus. If you were to ask them, and I've asked many of them, what do you feel about what you lost? What do you feel about not living in America anymore? What do you feel about not having you know, the nice car and all the things that you could as an American. Paul said, all I want to do is win Christ. All I want to do, all I want to do is when we get to heaven, when I get to heaven, to hear, well done, I think. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. our trust and our confidence, not in our own righteousness, not in our flesh, but in Jesus. We must keep the one thing. We must see as Christ has a false call in his things. We must want to know him and get to know him. I think each of us would be good by praying his people's prayer. And that is Pray that the world would lose its power to attract the 
Philippians 1.21, Paul said this, For me to live is Christ in the Bible. The one thing, the one thing, what's stopping me from the one thing? Keeping the one thing. Knowing him. Pleasing him. Understanding the game all out. As we stand to our feet, we have a first invitation to invite you to come if you want to come and pray at the altar. Lord, touch your heart, may the Holy Spirit be speaking to you. Are you keeping the one thing with you? Are you speaking to him first? Are you setting your affections on things above? Are you keeping your eyes on the Lord Jesus? Are you keeping the one thing? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love. We do so with you. Enable us by your grace to live a life realizing and understanding you. God, may you help. Lord, if there's someone here this morning who's not saved, say, Lord, if Now I belong to Jesus, my Lord, will love me forever. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.